kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Welcome to another edition of Auntie Nanny. It's Monday, and uh, we were laughing about the classic names of energy drinks and how funny they are. Um, yeah. You buy that one by the case. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, some people probably, the only way they're ever going to see that, so they probably need to buy cases that. Uh, how are you this week, Barry? I'm good, apart from the last minute, making sure the audio worked, because... Yeah. Something updated. Yeah, well, gotta Back love computers. that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're saving you from problems here. You don't need that sound card. Gotta love that. Mm. So um, last week we tested Discord for a little bit, and I, I think we might actually move on to that eventually. Um, just because the sound is so much cleaner and clearer, it sounds so much better. Uh, not a big fan of Skype, and it looks like they're um, going to be phasing it all into cloud mode now. Yeah, I, I'm That's not. That's what Microsoft are doing with all their stuff. Well, yeah, but they're gonna also end support for like Apple. So yeah. everybody who is an Apple user who uses Skype is gonna be fucked. Yeah. To put it mildly and nicely. It's Microsoft so it, finally getting revenge on. <laughs> They've put up all of <laughs> the mainstream video communication tools. Yeah. And Discord now they're going no more Apple support. Yeah. yeah. Discord is really good, you guys. You really should, uh, if you do any communicating online, you really should look into it because it, it's well, crystal clear. Audio, if you want audio only, yeah, it's really good. Oh, it's great. It's crystal clear. Uh, it's not a bandwidth hog and. Um, I don't think the NSA has uh, a full backdoor into this one yet, so that's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, mostly what they'd hear would be gamers swearing at each other, because that's where it originates from, so yeah. they probably won't bother. Yeah, probably. So there's loads of kids telling each other they're assholes and noobs. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst thing, like, when, when you're live gaming, has got to be, like, the little fucking screaming kids... The eight-year-old's just throwing a damn temper tantrum, and it's like, oh my god! Oh, no, 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 shut S up! Some of those people throwing tantrums are like in their thirties, right? But the kids, because they have that high-sounding, it's oh, it's yeah. pretty annoying. That's that shit's annoying. 
in your ear. It's like, well, I shut don't, the I don't, fuck up. I don't tend to do that sort of gaming. I, yeah. I play the more adult games, though you still have you know, teenagers playing. So you're just not Wargaming.net stuff. Yeah. Not a big fan of Halo, then, I guess. No. No, I... I uh, First-person shooter-type stuff. Nah, I, I got bored with that somewhere oh. somewhere in the noughties. Uh, oh, oh. I'd played them all to death, so... Uh. Yeah, um, just so you know, um, I'm going to be doing the Casa update tonight, and I'm not going to do it now, because Jesus. Um, I had Jesus about... is in the update? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, we could make this the update where we talk about uh, people swearing and video games and all that fun stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So what's been going on this week over uh, your way? Because um, it seems like it's just the opposite of the news here. They're saying we're going like, to allow people to vape on NHS grounds and, and stuff like that. And here they're like, there will be no outside vaping. What well, <laughs> as as usual, the UK is complicated. Uh, mm -hmm. The really, really high up people, mm -hmm. like Public Health England, are sure. saying, yeah, it should be promoted, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Some of the, as you say, some of the NHS trusts are rethinking policies. Right. But you still have Ash UK, Ash Scotland, Ash Wales, mm. all gleefully speaking up whenever someplace bans usage. <sighs> um, yeah, Public Health England this uh, last week released new guidance for oh, yeah. people using vaping at work. Mm -hmm. That was interesting reading, actually. Yeah, but all it's done is make all the smokers hate us even more. Uh, it's like, we should have our own little rooms where you can go and vape. But smokers still have to go outside. <laughs> Uh, well, the usual. It's, it's the divide and conquer type. Divide and conquer, yeah. exactly. That's how everything works. Uh, so, not that it matters to me. I literally have no horse in the race um, in the U.S. presidential elections. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have. I literally have no horse in the race. Shut up, very. <laughs> uh, but. I saw some really interesting video today and I have a lot of friends who are very into Bernie Sanders and stuff. And like I said, I have no horse in the race. I'm just a disinterested watcher. And it looked like he was throwing his support behind Hillary and, and saying that the delegates should all vote for her. And his wife goes up to him and he's mic'd up and she whispers to him, there's a concern you're telling them to do this and they don't know that your name is going to be called at the convention. And, and he just kind of like shook her off. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, it might explain the six foot gates surrounding the area of the Democratic National Convention. Eight, eight foot. They're eight foot. Eight foot. I'm sorry, they're eight. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's so funny because I thought Trump was the one talking about building a wall. Oh, sorry. But he's got his own little wall now around his star in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. It's even got a little barbed wire on the top. It's, yeah. If nobody's seen it, yeah, they should go and have a look. Yeah. So, Michael Morris, you were asking, huh, about what? About the wall that they've built around Trump's star. 
about the wall they built outside where they're having the Democratic National Convention or about them calling Trump's name on the convention, uh, Trump, sorry, um, Sanders' name on the convention floor. Okay, about Bernie saying what? Bernie was giving a speech urging his delegates to throw their support behind Hillary. And his wife ran up to him as he's making the speech. And Jane grabs him and goes, you shouldn't say that. There's some concern that your delegates don't know that your name's going to be called at the convention. So I'm assuming they're going to introduce the two that were up for whatever. And perhaps his delegates can throw their support behind him. I don't really understand it. I don't really know how it works. I know what it looks like to have a convention completely stolen from your candidate, though. And I know what it's like to be there for that. That was pretty fucking awful. I spent a week crying, but then I wised up and learned uh, voting really mattered. They wouldn't let me do it. But look on the bright side. They, 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 are, they are putting all, all the Democrats in a nice little pen. Yeah, you know. This eight foot red <laughs> <laughs> metal. Yeah. So it's a very, very good fence. It must have cost an awful lot of money. I wonder if Blackwater... I wonder if Blackwater built it, because they seem to be good friends with Hitler. Okay. Um, I'm not a fan of anybody who's running. I'm not. Not Trump, not Hillary, not... You know, I don't even really like Jill Stein, but, you know... Gary Johnson, he's as close to a Republican as you're going to see. I don't know that I consider him libertarian. I don't know. I'm thinking the Constitution Party is not a bad idea. And the world watches e with equal interest and horror. <laughs> <laughs> I Like I said, I'm completely disinterested. It just I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter to me, but it, it's just kind of... It's kind of like watching a competition of who's the worst. Right? Well, I mean, things to look forward to in the future. Mm -hmm. If Hitler gets in, you could have her... <laughs> May and Merkel, all at a meeting, Jesus. all discussing shoes. Uh, sorry, yeah, that's a bit misogynist, but <laughs> it's funny because oh. uh, that's what the it's press will funny. say. Uh, oh sure. Uh, and if Trump gets in, we, we could send over Boris, and they could have a hair off. <laughs> oh, I don't know. See, Trump scares me because he talks about building a fence, and I'm like, are you trying to keep everybody else out, or are you trying to keep us in? Because your economic policies are going to be so good that it's going to be like Venezuela. Um, and Venezuela is really bad. I have friends there. It's really bad. Most it's, of South America is really not in a good way at the minute. Well, Venezuela's, but Venezuela did really well under their last few dictators. This new one has just decided everything's a human right and priced everything so low that nobody wants to manufacture it because there's no yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's, um He does not understand what a mixed economic he's system He's unprivatized like. everything he can, which means mm -hmm. no private company is doing anything in this country. Because it's like, if we do anything in your country, you take it off us. <laughs> well, what's, what's so. really screwed up is there's three level, three tiers of taxing in Venezuela. I know you guys didn't tune in for this. I'm sorry, but you'll find this interesting. There's three tiers of taxation in Venezuela. And as you walk down the streets in a place like, say, Caracas, you'll actually see it. There's shops with two or three things in the shop 
there's shops that are full and there's shops that are sitting there empty, right? Uh, the shops with two or three things in them are on like tier two of the tier three level of taxation and the shops that are on tier one are just full of stuff and the stuff is incredibly cheap for people coming from America but it's extremely expensive for the people in Venezuela because they've taken their money and completely debased it to a point where it doesn't buy anything. Now the really screwed up thing about this is there's a law in Venezuela. It doesn't matter if you have nothing to sell in your store, you have to open every single day or the government will come after you and put you in prison. And uh, they've completely ended protests there, which is nice, but they ended protests by passing laws that said they could kill anyone who was protesting. So um, Venezuela, not a nice place to live. And, and not a place I would want to go, um, ever, if I could help it, ever. They're, they're trying to be the safe American in North Korea. Yeah. Well, they're coming pretty freaking close. Okay, um, so one thing I did see, we were talking about how things are different in different countries. I did see an article, and I can't get access to it, if I knew... Uh, Someone from Australia who was a pharmacist and had a license, I get access to it. But I found a, a policy, I think, document that says that pregnant women should switch to vaping. And that's an Australia policy guidance document. And I would love to read that. I, I think it would be well worth reading. Uh, uh, you but, might want to contact a teledonco. Okay. Dr. Danko in yeah. yeah, Australia. He can probably get access to it. Yeah, well, I'm sure he would love to read it as well. Okay, um, so since we talked about the elections, or, you know, scare, scare alike, as I like to call it, um, th this article will be interesting to some people. <clears throat> International watchers fear for America's elections. Americans may think their democratic system is the greatest in the world, but a group monitoring the state of democracy internationally is not so sure. It's got a long title, but a short, tight mission statement. The Office for Democratic Institutions and Human Rights is part of the multi-nation organizations for security and cooperation in Europe, is responsible for ensuring full respect for human rights and fundamental freedoms among its 57 member states, including United States, most of Europe, as well as some of Asia. Usually, ODIHR comes in to ensure that elections by new and struggling democracies are upheld. They sent, for instance, over 700 observers to the Ukraine in 2015 to observe its local elections in the wake of having overthrown its previous government in 2014. But ODIHR is now viewing the United States in a similar light. <clears throat> ODIHR announced that it will be sending 100 long-term observers to monitor the United States election process between now and the election on November 8th, along with 400 short-term observers who will directly monitor the process on election day. We'll observe the presidential elections in the United States much more intensely than the elect last elections in 2012, Michael Link, ODIHR's director, told the German newspaper Hell Bonnerstein, citing problems, citing the organization had, citing problems the organization had in monitoring the previous presidential race. This is more than double the 44 long-term observers that ODIHR sent in 2012. Uh, ODIHR spokesman Thomas Reimer uh, was contacted by a reporter, chose not to comment on predictions about the 2016 elections. Um, the decision comes after a report released by ODIHR found that those previous elections to be 
competitive and professional, but that technical aspects of the electoral process were often unduly politicized. The report took issue with numerous aspects of how the American election system works, including the U.S. body's record on voter registration, large-scale disenfranchisement, onerous voter ID laws, and disappointing administration of polling places. <clears throat> yeah. Um, ODIHR sends its observers to numerous elections in 57 member states, but the sheer amount of observers needed in the United States point to how much the supposed land of the free is lagging behind its peers and actually being free. America's electoral problems do not apply to similarly developed democracies in the modern world. For Canada's 2015 preliminary elections, ODIHR sent just six experts to assess the elections in a country of 39 million people. For the 2013 elections in Germany, a country of over 80 million, ODIHR sent two. America lags behind even countries new to democracy. Montenegro, which became an independent democracy less than a decade ago, received a glowing assessment from observers in 2013 for its presidential elections. ODIHR described the election in that small country, which is part of the Yugoslavian dictatorship as recently as 1992, as professional and efficiently administered, and noted that candidates campaigned freely and fundamental rights to expression, movement, and association were mostly respected. Observers were not nearly so kind to the United States in 2012, and so they have vastly increased their scrutiny of the upcoming November election. Now, DHR's concerns from outside the United States echo similar cries from election watchdogs within the U.S. <sighs> the United States has always been a beacon of democracy for other nations, said Rosalind Brock, chairman of the NAACP board of directors at the time. When we do not uphold the highest standard, it can have major implications for democracy advocates across the globe. Between 2012 and now, one big change has increased worries that American elections won't be fair. The 2013 Supreme Court case of Shelby County v. Holder. The court struck down one of the most important provisions of the Voters' Writing Act of 1965. Section 5. Districts with a history of racial discrimination or disenfranchisement must clear any changes to voting laws or procedure with the Justice Department for implementing them. In a country with 50 states, hundreds of counties, and thousands of municipalities that each administer their own elections without any large-scale federal oversight or unified practice, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act is one of the very few ways that American elections had been subject to oversight. But the Shelby County Supreme Court decision removed the requirements that district needed to get clearance for voting changes, effectively meaning that none do. The Voting Rights Act had ensured oversight for at least the most egregious election districts, even if it did not standardize elections in the whole country. It's been reported before on the issues that the Supreme Court caused in ending safeguards put in place by the civil rights movement to ensure that minorities were able to vote fairly in New York, a voter purge of more than 100,000 Democrats right before the presidential primary caused widespread problems, leading many to question the integrity of the results. The voter purge in Brooklyn, which disproportionately affected Latino voters, would easily have been stopped if the Supreme Court had not loosened changes on election law. Uh, it was reported last May on how the Supreme Court opened the door to erroneous restrictions in Virginia's elections, which could be big enough to sway the election in November. In that swing stage, the clearest issue comes from newly enacted voter ID laws, uh, along with those 16 other states require citizens to present state-issued ID unlike previous elections. ODIHR's recommendations for the 2016 election expressed deep concern for the Selby County decision 
and fears that it would lead to even worse problems for voting in the country than in the 2012 election. Um, so, yeah. Reading through the entirety of the ODIHR recommendations for 2016 is like browsing through a laundry list of the problems in America. The 2012 report complains that of the 50 million eligible U.S. citizens who are not registered to vote, calling into question the effectiveness of existing measures to ensure all persons entitled to vote are able to exercise that right. Uh, they come at the end of a bitter primary campaign on both sides, and the document damns the way the national conversation is played out. It expresses concerns about minorities that may be isolated uh, that, and may lead to isolated incidents of violence. Eleven years ago, the USA's recently re-elected president declared it the policy of the United States to seek and support the growth of democratic movements and institutions in every nation and culture. That statement came from George W. Bush, the president whose initial election came only after an extremely contentious failure of the electoral systems in the 2000 election, which required a protracted recount, the cancellation of votes by many, and the eventual results being decided by the unselect, unelected Supreme Court, contrary to the votes of the majority of Americans. Sixteen years later, concerns over the country's elections have not abated, and concerns by the ODIHR show that when it comes to democratic movements and institutions, the United States should first support itself. And I didn't read all of that. I skipped over a lot of it because it's very wordy. Yeah. But um, for, for those who didn't know, now you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always confused me that you don't have standardized voting across your whole country. Well... Because, right, I mean, the EU, mm -hmm. roughly speaking, have got as many voters as the United States. In fact, it's got mm -hmm. more, I think. Probably. It's close to 80 million or something. But the whole of Europe, when they vote in the European elections, all the countries' votings are the same. All done in the same way. So, uh, yeah, why why the US can't do it? Well, yeah, it's down to those special interest groups. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, oh, we can't yes. have voting like that here. No, 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 no. <laughs> that that would that that would that would uh, disadvantage that particular candidate. You're like, well, deal with it. <laughs> we really, it would be good to get money out of politics. Yeah. Honestly, um, it never will, but it would be great to get it out of politics. And, um. It's just, it's not going to happen. Like I said, you know, I, I think there is a reason why the Democrats built a wall around themselves. I, I just, I don't know. I just don't No, you're don't looking at it the wrong way. They're locking themselves in. Yeah, but what are they so, keeping Some of the out? terrorists are being put in a pen. It's great. <laughs> I was going to say they were locking out democracy. Okay. So, yeah, I thought that was just... That's just that kind of terrifying. But yeah, I, the one thing I did learn from the EU elections is you need to have a traceable method to conduct your elections yeah. because all of our stuff is easily hackable. Um, and there's at least they had the opposite problem in the Euro elections. 20%? Some of the stuff, some of the electronic voting was too secure. Well, we don't have that problem here. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yes, um, when I say it's standardised across Europe, the election commission that covers European elections gives every country options on what they can do with a vote. And it's up to the individual countries to choose which options they want. Mm -hmm. So some, some countries have, well, the UK, postal ballots, and normal turn up mm -hmm. and vote. 
no digital voting. But some countries do go for the digital voting option. And in some right. cases, yeah, they couldn't get the systems to work because, yeah, pe people weren't using the correct procedures. So, yeah, the, this isn't working. It's like you're not using it properly. Uh, <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, it's <coughs> voting is incredibly scrutinised in Europe because, well, lots of European countries have really interesting histories with elections so yeah <laughs> yeah um, so they had to put in place very robust regulations um yeah um hey can you try grabbing alex he's on hotel wi-fi but he says he wants to try to come on and do an update okay okay so we're going to try to give you an actual kiss update that doesn't include me um dooming glooming you to death so that would be a good thing Good evening, Alex. Good evening. Good evening, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 7-25-2016. What's new and exciting, Alex, besides you traveling all over the place? <laughs> uh, yeah, August is going to be a, uh, well, it's July, but right. August is getting started early. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm all over the place. Just got back from uh, VCC in Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh. Uh -huh. um, it was a smaller event than uh, than some of the other VCCs, um, but uh, still uh, a good event. Uh, Kevin always does a good job of, of putting the advocacy front and center, nice. and uh, so we had a couple of good good presentations mm -hmm. um, over the weekend. Um, got to share a stage with uh, Bill Godshaw from Smoke Free Pennsylvania. Um, someone who has been, for those that don't know, um, Bill Godshaw has been working this issue for longer than vaping um, in, in the state of Pennsylvania <clears throat> and uh, I believe in, in front of the FDA as well. Um, but, uh, and also, uh, Bill and some others were, uh, uh, quick to inform us about, uh, the Allegheny County, um, uh, Board of Health, Department of Health, yeah. uh, working together to implement an indoor vaping ban yes. in the county, um, which includes the city of Pittsburgh, um, and... So we, we have an updated call to action for, for people who uh, don't know. Um, and the, the kind of cool thing about this is that this, this is about as early warning as it gets. Um, not all municipalities enjoy the same um, amount of process in, in passing one of these things. Right. But uh, this is... This is still at the level of the Board of Health. So essentially what's happened up until now is mm -hmm. um, the Board of Health proposed the ordinance. They ran it by the kind of county attorneys or the legal committee or the whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, they reported back and said, okay, the language is good. And then uh, brought it back for a, a, a hearing sure. and uh, there were from what I understand, over 400 correspondences 
opposing this ordinance uh, and zero in favor. Wow. And um, at the time, they they sort of did this thing where they just they pass it out of that committee to mm -hmm. kind of keep it alive, keep the discussion sure. going. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, they did not uh, they didn't schedule a, another public hearing. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like uh, Bill and probably a couple other people raised enough of a ruckus that uh, that was changed. And so now uh, there is a public hearing on August 15th, I believe. I'm not looking mm -hmm. at our update. Um, um, yeah, uh, but you have to make calls or emails regarding your testimony on the 14th by 1 uh, p.m.? That's the deadline. The deadline to sign up to speak Mm -hmm. is 24 hours in advance of the hearing. So okay. uh, if you do want to speak or if you or otherwise just submit testimony, the deadline mm -hmm. is Sunday, August 14th by 1 p.m. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I would strongly recommend that people who want to speak uh, coordinate with Bill um, right. or, uh, or perhaps uh, Steel City Vapors have been kind of organizing this. I don't have any contact information for them, but um, right. you know, use, the, use the Google. Um, uh, and they were actually instrumental in getting a bunch of, I think they might have generated 400 handwritten letters. I, I, I don't exactly wow. know what that was, but um, so yeah, they're, I believe they are in Pittsburgh. And uh, so props to them for, for getting organized. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it, it's great to have the opposing testimony, um, but you don't want to overwhelm them with 50 people signed up to speak and then everybody gets like a minute or two. Um, so it, it's a good idea to coordinate with some of the people on the ground and, and make sure that everybody's testimony is uh, going to be relevant and long enough. Sure. Uh, so that's that. But otherwise, uh, you know, that, that that hearing room, which is in downtown Pittsburgh, uh, I believe it is the largest hearing room in in uh, Pittsburgh City Hall. Um, that that should be packed. There there should be, I believe, no less than a hundred people showing up. So, um, in the meantime, you can take advantage of our call to action. We have a pre-written letter, which is fully editable. Um, which I mean, you can delete the whole thing and just throw your personal story in there if you want. Sure. Uh, and uh, and email that. Or, uh, or use the contact information provided to email your own letter. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that. And, and then, uh, so yeah, this will probably take a few months. Right now it's in the Board of Health, Health Department, and then it moves on eventually to the full county council. Okay. Uh, so like I said, we're just getting started with that one. Okay. But uh, well, you, was, was Bill hot about the tax? Oh yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, yeah, that's that's a ridiculous tax. Everybody's hot about it, I, and I, you know that was that was certainly on everybody's mind. Um, you know, there's some further interpretation of the language. There, there are people working on it. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, it's something important to remember: uh, the legislature is in recess right now. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, there are some, some folks out there that have, uh, you know, on their own, uh, started generating phone calls to specific lawmakers 
during this recess. Sure. Um, and so that's that's what they're doing. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, we are working closely with Pennsylvania Safada right. uh, to kind of figure out where CASA will fit in uh, mm -hmm. eventually with, with these efforts. Um, but uh, yeah, so there, there's some further interpretation of, of the law okay. that uh, kind of specifies exactly what's going to be taxed. And uh, the, the current thinking is that the definition of electronic cigarette doesn't include, uh, say, a mod or a, a tank or an atomizer sold individually. Right. Now, if you sell those things together, it fits the definition. But okay. by itself, just the mod mm -hmm. doesn't fit the definition. So the, the thinking is that this tax is actually on a fully completed SIG-alike or, okay. uh, say, uh, you know, an Ego starter kit where everything's sold together, um, or an all-in-one, and uh, the e-liquid. It's not a. It's not much of a consolation, but uh, it is something to consider. Uh, that, you know, I mean, any kind of, any any kind of crack where, you know, it, it may not be as as disastrous as, as we think it is going to be. Um, potentially, that's you know a few more shops that that may be able to survive it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not. It doesn't save the day by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, obviously, as far as we're concerned, the more people that can stay open, the better. The better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's and you know, my perspective on that is it's important for people to understand that and be able to you know review, review the law and review their own personal situation and and see, you know, where they're where they sit and, and whether or not they are actually you know if that changes something for you know five people then then awesome and, and that's great but um at the end of the day it is still a horrible tax it is completely yeah. i mean it's just unworkable and can can you clarify the five years in jail thing for me please about this um, pennsylvania tax so i was I, I i took a little bit of license in in sort of reporting that in our um update uh, that is sort of the harshest penalty for what for one particular kind of violation and that is you know the state determining if you intentionally um, try to evade the taxes okay. um, I mean that, <laughs> well that that specifically can be applied I think mainly to um, manufacturers or retailers Sure. Uh, that would be the most serious infraction. There's monetary penalties as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, everything, I, as far as, as I understand it, in Pennsylvania, things tend to um, have that monetary penalty as well okay. as the potential for jail time. Okay. Um, I think the steepest penalty for, say, a consumer or, according to Pennsylvania, an unclassified importer Right. Um, it's, it's like up to a year in jail. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So and there's a lot of discussion about that too. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll clarify this. So 
you know, a lot of people are saying that there's just no way that the state is going to go after individual consumers for importing or, you know, even traveling back into the state with, with product that they haven't paid the tax on. Sure. And, you know, on one hand, that's, that's true. I mean, it, that the amount of resources the state would have to use is, is just, it would make it completely not worth it. Uh, right. But to, you get pulled over for a traffic violation or something. I mean, I mean, well, you know, that comes down to the police officer. Like, do they mm -hmm. do they really want to get into it? I, is it really their jurisdiction? Is it, you know, like, I, I, you know, and, and it's for, all it's all gray area until it happens. You know what I mean? Exactly. And and the example that I gave to people was, you know, yeah, I, I get that, that it's it's too much for the state to really seriously consider enforcing it with the full force of whatever uh, an agency would, is enforcing this. Um, but uh, here's, here's an, an example. I, I lived in Lancaster County in Pennsylvania um, uh -huh. for, for quite a while. And back in the 90s, um, it was sort of discovered that there was a, there was a blue law on the books uh, and it was no dancing on Sundays. <laughs> And I'm fairly certain this law had been on the books since the 1700s. Uh -huh. um, and they never repealed it. Well, there was, uh, there is still a, a, a nightclub downtown, and uh, they would have their all ages shows on Sundays. Uh -huh. And uh, there was also a curfew, so that was, that was uh, adhered to. Um, but, uh, yeah, so no dancing on Sundays, and uh, the local police department didn't start enforcing it until, um, I guess, the club, you know, pissed somebody off in in the city council, yep, uh, or pissed off the mayor's office. I, I can't remember what it was. So, you know, even though it's a ridiculous law, it's still a law, and if somebody chooses to enforce it, they they've got the law behind them. They can they they, they can find a way. Right. Uh, even if it's to kind of satisfy some sort of personal vendetta. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, the law gets used for regulatory revenge all the time. I was just, uh, I was reading something about that uh, with code enforcement happening in a small town. So it does happen. You know, it yeah. happens all the time. No one's above corruption. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> um. So I see Senator Johnson is going for his third round with the FDA. I have to admit, I haven't. Um... No, no, no. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised a that he got a response, and b that he's going for a third round with these guys. Um, well, you know, it, it's it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. um, sure. This is, and this is. Uh, been kind of what I suspected is that you know it's like it's like the power company sending you you know a warning and then a 30-day notice and then so on it's 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 just sure. this is what this is part of the process so um, and I believe I, I don't know how many letters I think it's three uh, I think he's reached the limit here and then we'll be um, working on uh, I, I believe the correct term is subpoena mm -hmm. he will subpoena members of the FDA to uh, um, testify in front of the committee. Sure. Um, as far as I know, I, I think that's, I think procedure. that's procedure. That, yeah. That's procedure, and that's, I believe, in the works. Right. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, and I, I do know that, that a couple that, that uh, people have been sort of, uh, people got a message to go ahead and start pressuring uh, Senator Johnson to um, call for a formal legislative inquisition. Um, it's it's actually subpoena. That's 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 what as I understand it, you're, mm -hmm. you you would be issuing a subpoena. That's that's right. the legal term. Sure. Um, there's uh, inquisition is not the word. <laughs> um, so, uh, but you know, our feeling on that is that you know we don't really want to bother him right now. Mm -hmm. He's a friend. Sure of mm -hmm. the vaping so uh let's let's keep him a friend of the vaping uh mm -hmm. there may come a time i believe in september or yep. early september when uh mm -hmm. when things re-adjourn um that that it may become necessary to send him some very polite and and kindly worded messages um to either offer support or um maybe urge him politely to um to subpoena the fda yeah. to call a hearing. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I would, I would sort of recommend that people uh, mm -hmm. not overwhelm the office. Sure. It's fine. You want to send them, you know, a, a heartfelt letter saying thank you and mm -hmm. keep up the good work. Uh, but I, I just, we don't want to bombard him with, with sure. stuff right now. Well, I think um, he's got other stuff on his plate now. He's trying to collect for his reelection campaign too. Yeah, that's, that's trying to keep his job. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's coming up soon and uh, it's, he's, he's lost a lot of support actually a lot of monetary support so, um, yeah, yeah. It's, so I'm sure he's concerned with other things as, as well as the FDA yeah so. yep yeah. so um, so yeah that's, uh, <laughs> that's oh that. no no HR 2058 picked up three new oh yeah it's been a couple weeks since we've done this so um, yeah yeah, we added three more co-sponsors, um, mm -hmm. which is which is always good news. Um, and uh, you know, for what it's worth, these are people that are also, I I would assume, likely to uh, put some support behind the Cole Bishop Amendment when and if that that comes to some sort of vote. Um, and uh, and you know, behind the scenes, we're going to need people working to keep that in the appropriations bill. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so. Uh, yeah, I don't have the names in front of me, but uh, Tom McClintock, California, um, uh, Todd Young, Indiana, Mick Mulvaney, South Carolina. Awesome. Yeah, and um, and we have our our thank you campaign up for that as well. So if you live in any of those districts, if any of those guys are your representative, um, please please send them a thank you note. They like getting thank you notes from constituents. Yes, they do. That's a big thing. They love it. And it, uh, it helps keep the conversation alive. Mm-hmm. It does. Thank you letters are always nice. It makes, it makes people feel good. So, yeah. It's an yep. awesome thing. Is that about it for this week, you think, Alex? Pretty much. Um, okay. This coming weekend, I will be in Tacoma, Washington. The uh, Pink Lung Brigade uh, is a part of a uh, couple of. Sorry, that was probably really loud. Uh, Pink <laughs> Lung Brigade is a couple of. Uh, I think there's a. I think one's a fundraiser. The other one's sort of a consumer night at a shop out there, mm -hmm. um, Obsidian Vape. Um, 
And so uh, I'm, I'm primarily going out to hang out with uh, Washington advocates because we haven't really uh, developed those connections yet. And right. uh, we need to be able to work with them and, um, mm -hmm. and also, you know, just lend some support out there as well. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I haven't really hung out in, I, I don't think I've ever been to Washington state. So, um, Hey, good weekend trip. Yeah. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Um, thank you, Alex, for everything you do. And thank you for coming on. I know you've been really busy. So thank you for everything. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> pleasure as always. Um, and we'll see you maybe next week or the week after. I'll probably be traveling, so might as well. Okay. <laughs> or not. Or or you'll you'll just hear me give my amazing CASA update, which is like seven <laughs> minutes long. So uh, thank you again, Alex. And right. we'll see you next time. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. See ya. See ya. Okay. So we talked about Ron Johnson, and I'm going to keep talking about Ron Johnson. When I said he was losing money, I was not kidding. The day after Ron Johnson spoke at the Republican National Convention, he learned that the Koch brothers ditched him. They pulled $2.2 million worth of his TV ads. Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson has been trailing his Democratic opponent, Russ Feingold, for much of the campaign, but Republicans have held out hope that outside money could close the gap. Those hopes took quite a blow on Wednesday, the day after Johnson addressed the Republican National Convention. The Koch-backed Freedom Partners Action Fund, which had previously reserved $2.2 million in airtime for Johnson, yanked its ad buy completely. A Democratic media tracker with access to ad buy information confirmed the move. James Davis, a spokesman for Freedom Partners, said that despite pulling the airtime, the group is still engaged on the ground in Wisconsin and hasn't given up on Johnson. We are realigning our television advertising strategy to ensure maximum impact across Senate races, he said. We will continue to direct citizen outreach through our grassroots activists, volunteer phone calls, digital media, and direct mail. Last weekend alone, network grassroots organizations made almost half a million contact attempts to targeted audiences. On Tuesday, the National Republican Senatorial Committee said it was delaying its own ad buy on Johnson's behalf. The NRSC had booked $1.3 million in ad time beginning in early August. It canceled the buy and rebooked $800,000 in October, Politico Pro reported, confirmed by the Democratic media tracker. The NRSC, though, insists that its investment in the Wisconsin race will not be reduced overall. Brian Rensinger, a spokesman for Johnson, said the campaign wasn't worried. We just had our strongest fundraising quarter ever, and the polls show this race is tight. We're comfortable and confident and believe we have the support to run a winning campaign, he told Huffington Post. The voters already fi fired Senator Feingold once, and they will reject him again. HuffPolster, which aggregates all available public polls, has Johnson trailing Feingold by roughly nine points, and national Republican operatives are privately skeptical he can mount a comeback. So, um, yeah, just for anybody, for any vapor who was planning on keeping all of their, you know, vaping thoughts in one basket, thinking that the FDA was going to get crucified by this guy, well, you might not get that. That might not happen for you. Very? Yeah, it's, um, it's still good that he's hustling them. Though, oh, sure. I mean. Sure. But yes, yep. the, the 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 
he's obviously done something to annoy the billionaires. Uh, <clears throat> I wonder if he's pestering the FDA a little too much. Hard to tell, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. If, if you were thinking that was going to be it, that's, um, I wouldn't uh, bet on it. Uh, I also wanted to show people, um, if you were looking for some clearance from um, the FDA, this is the only clear thing that they have released on deeming. And it's the only clear policy document from the FDA for people who are curious. That is the only thing that has any clarity in it at all. So it's in the chat. If you want to take a look at it, it's not much, <laughs> surprisingly. So, yeah. <sighs> good stuff, good stuff. Well. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> so I did want to mention this since we're still talking vaping. Everybody says Big Tobacco was our Emmy, and, and that might be true, but I think some of the companies are starting to wise up that this, this deeming is going to fuck with them, too. So, Altria urges the FDA to loosen planned e-cig regulations for public health benefit. The nation's top tobacco manufacturer, Altria Group, Inc., is urging the Food and Drug Administration to loosen its planned tightened restrictions on electronic cigarettes and vaporizers, even though its Mark 10 brand could be a major beneficiary of the squeeze. The FDA regulations are set to go into effect August 8th, though the agency faces several federal lawsuits requesting a preliminary injunction on the implementation. Mark 10, made by Altria's subsidiary, New Mark LLC, is the number three e-cigarette in the United States. Are you fucking kidding me? With a 16.3% market share, according to Nielsen data as of June 18th. Views made by R.J. Reynolds is first at 35.7%. However, the recent growth in sales of electronic delivery systems uh, ends. The catch-all term for e-cigs and vaporizers, no, it's not, we call it vapor products, has tilted toward vaporizers whose nicotine liquid solutions are typically developed by small chains and individual shops. Altria said in its 22-page comments to the FDA sent July 11th that ENDS represent the type of reduced-risk products that Congress intended for the agency to support when it empowered the FDA to regulate tobacco products to improve public health. If adopted in its current form, the draft guidance may result in many existing ENDS being forced off the market and make it difficult for some manufacturers to develop new ENDS products. Should this occur, adult tobacco consumers will be deprived of important product choices. ASIC sales are expected to reach $1.6 billion before 2016, according to Wells Fargo security analyst Bonnie Herzog. Vaporizers and similar products are projected to hit $2.5 billion in sales. Perhaps the biggest regulatory challenge is that products introduced into the retail marketplace after February 15, 2007, including almost every e-cig, would have to retroactively go through the stiffer regulatory requirements to prove they don't cause public harm or entice non-smokers to consume the products. That includes providing more details about liquid nicotine ingredients and their manufacturing processes. The FDA regulations would allow manufacturers to keep their products in the marketplace for up to three years if they enter the review pipeline. Altria said the planned regulations do not include an accelerated or modified pre-market tobacco application pathway for ENDS to provide a flex flexibility and recognize ENDS position on the tobacco risk continuum. So, you know, that's, I don't want to say that's a great thing, but it's just interesting. I wonder if they're realizing well, what it's, it's sort of a regulatory nightmare it's going to be for them, too. 
Yeah. You know? It's that last bit there. It's the fact mm -hmm. there's no pre-market obligations. Yeah, there isn't. And that's what the tobacco industry relies on for new products. So, yeah. Yep. They probably also realize even the stuff they've got now won't pass the testing. Yep. Nothing. I'll be pass. surprised. Yeah, if anything passes the testing. Nothing is going there's, to pass. There's the, there's the one product that's been in, in the UK. Mm -hmm. But yeah, <laughs> but it isn't still on sale yet. So I know, yeah. you know, it, it's I don't see, I don't see anything surviving the regulations the way they're written, and I think maybe Altria is realizing that. But that just sets up. Who did they say was the number one? Was it Marlboro? I think. Um, not yeah, R.J. Reynolds. R.J. Reynolds is going to be the winner again, yeah. just like they were with the Family Smoking Prevention and Tobacco Control Act. They set that up with the Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, and it gave them a free market. And they're the only ones excited about this, and, you know, I don't know. They're the only ones who are going to benefit from it all. Yeah. I think about this stuff way too much. <laughs> so, yeah, I was... Very surprised to see that they were supporting a change. So that's well, Altria pretty... are probably the tobacco company that's invested most in yeah. not just in e-cigarettes, but the heat not burn stuff. They've yep. put a lot of money into it in the last few years. They sure have, you know. And that 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 means that the company responsible for they say the most addictive cigarette on the market is Marlboro, right? No idea. Like, <laughs> just, I'm just going by what the aunties say here. I'm not saying I believe it. I'm just going by what they say. And according to them, it has the most additives and it's the most addictive. And if that's true, they're going to be the only ones that have a reduced risk product that is capable of passing FDA scrutiny. And isn't that fucking hilarious? In the kind of ironic, strange kind of way. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole FDA thing is like an extended Marx Brothers routine. <laughs> the whole government thing is like an extended Marx Brothers routine. You can see it over your way. I know I can see it here. No, no, ours, ours is, uh, we, we have our own comedians, you see. It's more like Norman Wisdom or, uh, <laughs> over here. Yeah. yeah uh, or so... perhaps spitting images far more apt. That was such a great show with the puppets. They did yes. such a good job with that. Um, yeah. So, now that we're over that fun stuff, since we've done the CASA update, I'm going to get back to the other show notes. Because poor Alex, I was reading from my own show notes. I said I was going to talk about Zika virus, and um, this is pretty interesting because I... Um, I subscribe to a lot of magazines that are just sort of marketed to professionals that work for the government that deal with disasters. Right. So just, just this... to just to stick something in before you read the story. Sure. Spain has its first case of Zika caused microencephaly oh. reported today. So yeah. yeah, no, I mean I don't I don't think there's much to it. I mean, the worst thing you usually get from Zika is, you know, aches, pains, 
fever, chills, and uh, conjunctivitis. Conjunctivitis is like the worst event, you know, because it lasts the longest. And since it's viral conjunctivitis, not much they can do for it. They can't give you like the eye drops and it won't go away that way. It just has to subside as you get it. So like I said, I, I subscribe to a lot of that stuff. And this is from one of those publications. Um, and I didn't really see it in the news and I'm not really surprised. Utah health officials puzzled by a Zika medical mystery. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is helping the state of Utah figure out a medical mystery, how a person with no apparent exposure to the Zika virus contracted the disease. The Utah resident is an acquaintance of an elderly man who had traveled to a Zika-ridden area. That man contracted the disease and died in late June with what the CDC calls uniquely high amounts of the virus, more than 100,000 times higher than seen in other samples of infected people in his blood. This new case in Utah is a surprise showing that we still have more to learn about Zika, said Aaron Staples, MD, PhD, CDC's medical epidemiologist on the ground in Utah. A CDC emergency response team is in Utah at the request of the Utah Department of Health. The team includes experts in infection control, virology, mosquito control, disease investigation, and health communications, interviews, and lab tests. They'll help state and local public health disease control specialists try and determine how the second resident became infected. The investigation includes additional interviews with laboratory testing of family members and healthcare workers who may have had contact with the person who died and trapping mosquitoes and assessing the risk uh, of local spread by mosquitoes. Assessing the risk of local spread by mosquitoes. Sexual contact. Of the 1,306 Zika cases reported in the continental United States and Hawaii as of July 13, 2016, None were the result of local spread by mosquitoes. 14 were believed to be the result of sexual transmission, and one was the result of laboratory exposure. Non-sexual spread of the virus from one person is not common. Since early 2016, the CDC has worked with state and local territorial public health officials to protect pregnant women from Zika infection through, yeah, through alerts to pregnant women to avoid traveling in an area with Zika um, and to tell them to prevent mosquito bites, um, developing and distributing PCR and IgM testing kits to confirm Zika virus transmission, uh, establishment of CDC emergency response teams to rapidly deploy to assist Zika-related preparedness and response activities in the United States, deployment of experts to assist in enhancement of mosquito surveillance and testing, collaboration with the FDA, blood collection centers and other entities in the public and private sectors, um, and enhance surveillance of blood donations, guidance to prevent sexual transmission, particularly to women who are pregnant, guidance for clinicians on the care of pregnant women who may have been exposed to Zika, studies in collaboration with Brazil, Colombia, and other countries to better understand the link between Zika infection and birth defects, including microcephaly. So yeah, that was something I hadn't read about in the news. And I was pretty sure nobody else had read about it either. So I thought that was interesting. Tell you what, it's going to be an interesting Olympics. <laughs> you think? So loads of athletes running along in full biohazard suits. <laughs> I, I think a lot of... Well, did you hear that they found something that mosquitoes hate? They yeah. hate the smell of its chickens. Yeah. The smell of live chickens. They hate that. So Chickens all eat. Really 
Yeah, chickens eat bugs, so it's probably yes. a, a natural response action. Sure. Yeah. So all we have to do is spray our poor Olympic athletes down, hose them down with eau de fresh chicken. Live fresh chicken. And if you've ever, ever smelt a live fresh chicken, oh, yeah, you're not in for a treat. One of my uncles had chickens on his farm. Yeah, you, you, you don't forget the smell in a hurry. We had free-range chickens, but they still fucking stink. Yeah. They're, they're just kind of, they're gross little critters, too. I mean, if you, this is gross, but if you butcher something and you do it the right way, um, you get a sack full of organs. You know what I'm talking about, I'm sure. Yeah, giblets. Mm-hmm. And if you do it the right way, you can just sort of roll it across the field to the chickens. And, um... Put your cow, roll it out to the chickens, it's gone in three hours. They're vicious little fuckers. They'll eat anything. Oh, yeah. They'll eat each other. Yeah. Oh, sure. And especially if they sense that either one of them is different from one another. God, I wish Jeannie were here. She'd have some funny thing to say about chickens, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it yeah, there's all sorts. Like, like usual, it all depends on the breed and... Yeah. And the upbringing. As with any animals, yeah. If you treat your chickens in a certain way, they're going to behave in a certain way. Yeah. But uh, so yeah. Yeah. Either way. Because yeah, smell. free free range chickens tend to be a bit more civilized than uh, caged, heavily farmed ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there's no reason to not keep them safe. No, and and. I've seen some really interesting work done with, you know, free-range farmers showing how you can put a cage around your chickens and keep them outside and move the cage with the chickens in it. And so they still have, like, fresh ground to be on and, and it doesn't really tear up your ground too much and it's good for the land. So I've seen some really interesting work done with that, but ours were completely free-range. They could walk out in the damn street if they felt like it. So. I'm, I'm talking of free range. I'm still amazed by that the that American farmer who's got the free range cows. Do you know what I mean? No. The the, the cows actually by choice spend most of their time indoors. Oh. Huh. <laughs> the, the guy runs runs his dairy farm, and it's got um, more milk yield than any of the battery mm -hmm. operations as such. Sure. But yeah, mm -hmm. the, chicken, the the cows just wander about the farm wherever they want. But after a few generations, the cows have developed. Yeah, we'll just stay inside. <laughs> they're not being, they're not locked up. They just right. prefer to be indoors. And the milking shed he's got's amazing. Mm -hmm. No staff. The, the cows really? walk in. The they walk onto this giant rotating platform. Uh huh. The, the milking machinery attaches, the cow can mm -hmm. eat while it's standing there. Right. As it rotates round, it gets milked. And mm -hmm. then the cow just walks off at the other end, having been milked. <laughs> and That's the cow goes to get milked when it feels it wants to go and get milked. <laughs> you know, they're not being driven Forced. there. So they just walk in, get milked, walk back out again. It's There's a video, on, there used to be a video on YouTube. Uh, mm -hmm. if, I, if I'd known it was going to come up, I could have... <laughs> gone and got it but yeah there's it, a reason it's, it's, i put show notes together <laughs> it's it, it's hilarious to watch 
you know. I believe just it. this it's... guy who runs this quite big farm, and he's only got like three guys working. The cows are just basically um, wandering about all on their own. The only time he needs to inter- intervene is if you know there's a medical problem. Yeah. Sure. That's the way to do it, though. I mean, animals are—they know what they need, literally. Rural chickens versus urban chickens. Uh, I don't know. I see now. I think I've talked about this. I've talked about what it's like to have eminent domain come and take part of your land. I've lived through that. Um, Because we used to live on land that had springs and it had streams and it had clean and pure water as far as you could see. And then they wanted to build a highway. And the state will just come and take that from you. So where I started growing up was very rural. And by the time I was about five, it was very urban in the front part of the land. And it was very country in the back of the land. Uh, And, you know, the animals never really recover from that. They're not really big fans of that. So, yeah, um, I said we'd talk about John Kerry. God bless him, I guess. Bless his heart. Anybody hear about the statement he made? I'm, I'm sure you did. It had to be everywhere. It was everywhere here. Yeah, <clears throat> don't remember. <laughs> okay. Refrigerator chemicals are just as bad as ISIS. Air conditioners and refrigerators pose as big a threat to life on the planet as the threat of terrorism, Secretary of State John Kerry said on Friday. That might be true, although the threat of IS is definitely different. Kerry was in Vienna negotiating a global climate deal to phase out chemicals used as refrigerants in basic household and commercial appliances such as air conditioning and refrigerators called hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs. The chemicals are a potent source of greenhouse gas emissions that many scientists blame for contributing to global warming. Kerry made the remarks as part of a pep talk for negotiations working through the weekend to amend a 1987 treaty called the Montreal Protocol to deal with the chemicals. Yesterday, I met in Washington with 45 nations, defense ministers, and foreign ministers as we were working together on the challenge of the Islamic State and terrorism, he said. It's hard for some people to grasp it, but what we, you, are doing right now is the equal importance because it has the ability to literally save life on the planet itself. Environmental Protection Agency Administrator Gina McCarthy, one of the U.S. lead negotiators in discussions in Vienna, she said Thursday that one of her goals is to move the HFC agreement into force by the end of the year. The global deal would match new EPA regulations to ban HFCs in the United States and promote alternative chemicals for uses in appliances. The EPA's rules, together with negotiations in Vienna, are part of the president's climate goal agenda for his final year in office. Uh, as a response to that, I thought this was quite funny. Um, I stuck the response to that in chat, and I will read it to you. This is a petition on change.org. Remove air conditioning from all U.S. Senate Department, U.S. State Department property. 
whereas Secretary of State John F. Kerry has suggested that air conditioners are as big a threat as ISIS, and whereas it's the duty of our elected and appointed government offices to lead by example, we call upon the U.S. State Department to remove air conditioning from all property that the department owns, rents, or otherwise employs, including, but not limited to, embassies, consulates, office buildings, etc., all vehicles owned and or operated by the department and any other property, real, movable, owned, rented, or otherwise employed by the department. This petition will be delivered to President of the United States, Barack Obama. I thought that was hilarious. That is a good response. It is. <laughs> I, I also have to point out, yeah, when, when he made this statement before meeting with officials in Vienna, Vienetta, whatever you want to call it, um, sorry. Um, the, the the European negotiators must have been going, what the hell is he talking about? Because, <laughs> yeah, most of Europe banned HFCs 20 years ago. <laughs> we don't really, like, what? We don't really what use do? them. Yeah, that's it. I mean, yeah, most, most, of, the, most of the really bad ozone-depleting and greenhouse mm-hmm. gas chemicals were all banned in Europe 20 years ago. So, yeah, they must have been going... Uh, why, why is he saying he's leading the negotiations? <laughs> We've already found it here. <laughs> Boy, are they behind the times. Yeah, well, I just yeah. thought that was funny. I just like that there's a petition going around to remove, you know, air conditioning from that asshole. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... But that, 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 yeah, I find I find the, the fact that he's saying it's a big thing, that he's talking to Europe about it, I find that funnier than the petition. It's like, we've already banned it, you numbnut. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, uh, I don't know. You know, the biggest threat of life on to life on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think our government have just decided to continue having trident. That's. Uh, you know, so Hugh Boris isn't in charge though. <laughs> so. I did start reading through the Democratic email leak. Oh, my God. Um, I would love to know how the party of all people who think we should embrace all races and colors gets away with sending emails about to each other about how they have to step up their game with the, quote, Taco Bowl engagements. The Taco Bowl engagements are how they interact with Hispanic members for votes. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And that's some of the nicest stuff in there. There's so much horrible racist crap in there. I can't even believe it. And it's just stuff they're sending to one another. And if you want to read through something terrible, go to WikiLeaks and look through the... The Democratic email dumps. It's it's enlightening. At least it will they, tell you at, exactly what these fucking people think of you. At least they do it in email, whereas, you know, Trump and his lot do it at press conferences. So, you know, it's, it's fair enough. <laughs> um, they were equally... There was, I did though. see a funny video on YouTube this week of right. the Latinos para Trump signs at his conventions. Um, One, it's a mistranslation. Uh (laughs) Para is for the benefit of, rather than voting for terms, Mm -hmm. apparently. It should be por. Even I know por is for (laughs) in Spanish. Um, 
well, and then and then they pull back and show you the faces of all these people holding the signs about the Latinos, and they're all very very white. Well, you know that doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> Big hair, ear rings, stats. Right, but they know. could be they could be Castilian Spanish. You don't know, but that would no, be... no, even Castilian Spanish are not that white. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I mean. <laughs> I don't. I don't believe he has many Hispanic fans. No. But um, all I gotta say is, if you think anybody in public office is looking out for you, you're fucking delusional. Oh no! Any any time any of these uh, you, you read any of these emails from any politicians anywhere in the world. God, they hate everybody. Yeah. They hate you. I mean that that is what I get from reading this stuff. That's why and I watch. Sure... I like watching things like the thick of it. Because you know, Malcolm Tucker. <laughs> yeah. I see. Here's the uh, thing. I don't think we think any more of them than they think of us. But you know, we're not there to serve them. They're there to serve us. That is their job. Their job is to be a public servant. You know. Um. Anyway, sorry. I just get pissed off with that. There's no need of that shit. See, your politicians are have, have caught up and surpassed ours on the whole. I, I don't scale. know about that. We don't have politicians. What we have is a fucking reality show that we call an election. <laughs> bigger brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who's the bigger big brother? Okay. So uh, here's something kind of funny. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go all the way to the end. These two stories go together. Tempering possibility after THC found in Hugo water supply. Lincoln County. The town of Hugo's approximately 720 residents have been warned not to drink or cook using the local water supply after authorities found evidence of THC. Captain Michael Yowell with the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office says investigators have found evidence that someone may have tampered with one of the town's five wells. At this point, police don't know how much THC is in the water or how it got there. It's something that one prosecutor said he hadn't seen in his 22-year career. There's a reason for that, and I'll get to that in a minute. The Lincoln County Sheriff's Office was first told about the issue with the town's water supply on Tuesday afternoon. Hugo Public Works first learned about it while trying to administer a drug test. An employee in the area noticed that the town's water was positive for THC. This prompted additional tests, Yoel said, and the Sheriff's Office was able to isolate THC in one well, well number one. That well is no longer feeding the town's water supply, but it will take 48 hours for the water to cycle through. Water sample testing results are expected on Saturday. Captain Michael Yowell with the Lincoln County Sheriff's Office said on Friday afternoon. In the meantime, Hugo residents have received over 2,500 bottles of water and more water is on the way. Lincoln County Public Health Director Susan Kelly says no one has reported symptoms from the THC. If residents do notice anything amiss, they're asked to call the Rocky Mountain Poison Control Center at 1-800-222-1222. Yowell says it's possible authorities are getting a false positive since the tests are done with a field kit. Nevertheless, says the Sheriff's Office, Colorado Bureau of Investigation and CBI are working to get to the bottom of what happened. This is a new thing, Yowell said. There are no legal recreational or medical marijuana stores, facilities, or grows in Hugo. There are only 62 registered medical marijuana patients in all of Lincoln County. I think we owe it to our community, we owe it to our citizens to absolutely investigate this 100%. It 
The Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment says the town's water is considered safe for bathing, showering, brushing teeth, and cleaning laundry. Uh, the CDPHC says the worst side effects from short-term ingestion of THC are impaired coordination and thinking that may affect the ability to drive, increased anxiety, and increased heart rate, psychotic symptoms such as hallucinations, paranoia, or delusional beliefs, temporary impairment in learning, and short-term memory. The town of Hugo is located about 20 miles southeast of Lyman and around an hour and 40 minute drive from Denver. Now, the reason I say that I was going to get to this is I'm getting to this. It would take a lot of THC to contaminate a water supply. And this was posted 7-22-2016. It was a quiet Tuesday afternoon when everyone in Hugo, Colorado's phone rang with the same message. Don't bathe, it said. Don't cook. Don't drink the water. Earlier that day, July 21st, the town's small public works had detected THC in the water supply. Weed is legal in Colorado, but Hugo doesn't allow anyone to grow or sell the stuff. Was this runoff from some illegal grow operation? Science says it's not likely. THC, or tetrahydrocarbonyl, is the chemical in cannabis that gets people high, and it doesn't mix well with water. This comes down to some basic principles of solubility. Water molecules are built out of two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom, H2O. The oxygen atom has a higher affinity for electrons than the hydrogen atoms, which makes it polarized. Other polarized molecules like sticking to water so they dissolve readily. The various atoms that make up THC, though, have a more balanced affinity for electrons. If you stirred a gram of pure THC into a liter of water, only three milligrams would dissolve. The rest would float on top, said Donald Land, chemistry professor at UC Davis, and Chief Scientific Officer at Steep Hill Cannibal Te Cannabis Testing Labs. Hugo, Colorado has 720 residents. Let's say the city's wells contain 100 gallons of water per day per person, for a total of 265,000 liters. According to Land, contaminating that much water would take 800,000 milligrams of THC. Each gram or of high-end cannabis flour might contain the makings for 150 milligrams of THC, so one would need the equivalent of over 5,000 joints worth of cannabis, said Land. That would be like if Cypress Hill's tour bus drove off a cliff, rolled through a Willie Nelson concert, and capsized Rick Stevens' kayak before nose-diving into the town well. But hey, this is Colorado. Maybe someone in Hugo had an illegal grow operation and had to dump their stash for some reason. High-potency THC extract is pretty expensive. $100 for a gram of the stuff is not an unreasonable price. If this was an accident, it was an expensive one. If this was a prank, it was financed by Bill Gates and executed by Winston Bishop. The entire industry is focalized, focused on utilizing THC as a saleable product, so everyone would be avoiding this kind of loss, says Ezra Pryor, pres president of Easy Chem Consultancy Incorporated. And even if that happened, THC is still so insoluble that it probably wouldn't have much of an effect on unwary tap drinkers. Remember, the highest concentration of THC you can physically get in a liter of water is 3 milligrams. In the 1970s, the U.S. government allowed researchers to run a clinical trials for a drug called Marinol, the active ingredient in which THC is present. The lowest levels tested were 2.5 milligrams per capsule, which is roughly the equivalent to the amount you would get by drinking Hugo's allegedly contaminated water. In those trials, only half the people given the lowest dose noticed any effect. At low levels, they are not 
many side effects from THC, except maybe euphoria and the stimulation of appetite, said Lamb. So maybe the local restaurants might notice an uptick in business. Without more details about the actual device Hugo's public utility used to test the water, Lamb can't really know what they might have been detecting. A lot of testing methods are simple and easy to use and can find false positives by reacting with other things that are not their target, he said. In order to know if they had found cannabis chemical, Hugo's officials would have to analyze the suspect water with both mass spectrometry and gas chromatography. Otherwise, it's just smoke in the water. So what they're saying is you need to go there and open a delivery pizza joint. <laughs> Apparently. Oh, I also linked into chat. Yeah, Have they had a visit from a man called Oliver Kaser recently? Nice German <laughs> chap from Dortmund. Has these funky bacteria that make THC. <laughs> so, oops, I dropped them and dropped it in the well. Whoopsie. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was hysterical. Because, yeah, when they're yeah. going on about the production costs for THC, it's, I was like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something recently when a guy was saying he'd, he'd made it cheaper. Yeah. I. I <laughs> yeah, the, the, the article. Our new way of synthetic THC production will release, reduce the cost of producing one kilogram, <laughs> kilogram, folks, of THC from 50,000 euros to only 2,500 euros. <laughs> THC so, could get very common. If, yeah. <laughs> so basically, when they say there's something in the water, it really means something <laughs> in Colorado. That's just crazy. I mean, I saw it and I'm going... Yeah, the, the guy who took the test samples, have they completely checked him? Oh, I don't just, know. Just, just, you know, it's like, were, were right. you, did you take your testing kit to a party last night? <laughs> no. <laughs> I just, I could not believe that. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, but as I, I say, it's know, not water I do know a little chemistry. So how, yeah. It's not right, really I, water. You know, how, how, did, how could it end up in the water when it doesn't actually dissolve in water? Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. I don't know a lot of things. I do know a lot about plant chemistry because it's yeah. actually one of the things I studied in school. And I'm going, that's impossible. Yeah, THC is an oil, basically. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It floats to the top. Top. <laughs> exactly. So that's I, I saw that story and I'm going, that's unless not there's true. A, unless there's also a mul an emulsifier <laughs> in their water, which would be even more oh, worrying. Sure. Yeah, that would be scary if you have to have a wheel constantly churning mm. in your well. Well, no, no, it's, no. I was saying a, a proper emulsifier. It would be like, mmm, lovely, lovely water, tastes of <laughs> THC and soap. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I had never seen a story like that before, and I'm going, I think these people need to go back to school, right? I mean, you know, what does an actual county sheriff know about that stuff? Not a lot. And they're going to believe what they're told, sure. Mm -hmm. But, damn. Still can't believe that. Still can't believe it. <laughs> yeah. It's just some crazy shit. I, th I think they'd have noticed somebody dropping several tons of stuff into the well. Uh, I think. <laughs> yeah. Don't mind me. I'm just dropping some shit in your well here. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, let's see. We talked about Zika, and that was fun. <laughs> um, how about we talk about the, T the TSA? We talked about THC, which was fun. Now let's talk about the TSA, which is not so fun. This is an editorial from the Mercury News. The TSA looks even worse in Congress's report. 
critics of the stepped-up security presidents at American airports since September 11th have always said that while it looks good, it isn't really making travelers much safer. Now, more and more, it doesn't even look good. After a series of scandals marred the image of the Transportation Safety Administration, a congressional committee investigated the TSA's effort to head off employee misconduct. The result is a new report from the staff of the House of Homeland Security Committee, whose title does further wonders for the agency's reputation. Misconduct at TSA threatens the security of the flying public. I feel safer with them in charge. I don't know about you. A particular concern in the 29-page report is the instances of misconduct that have grown at an alarming rate in the last six years, even after a watchdog investigation revealed substantial misconduct. For example, the report noted that in December, a federal grand jury charged a TSA officer at Oakland International Airport with using a position to facilitate drug smuggling through the security checkpoint. The officer allegedly helped smuggle more than 100 kilograms of marijuana over a two-year period. The report notes this is a problem everywhere, which is troubling because everywhere is where we all fly. The eye-popping statistic is 28.5% increase in reported misconduct by TSA workers nationwide from 2013 to 2015, when the annual number of allegations climbed to 17,627, equating to about one every for every three full-time employees. The biggest category of misconduct was neglect of duty, which doubled in two years, ending in 2015 to 1,206 incidents nationwide. Neglect of duty is described as inattention to daily duly resulting to a loss of property or life, careless inspection, negligent performance of duties, failure to exercise due diligence in performance of duties, and failure to follow procedures. Another of the eight categories of misconduct saw increases in integrity and ethics, which covers accepting bribes and other criminal conduct. Try not to think about that the next time you're standing in a long checkpoint line. The misconduct ranges from salacious federal air marshals spending government money on hotel rooms for romps with prostitutes to downright dangerous, an officer in Orlando taking bribes to smuggle Brazilian nationals through a checkpoint without questioning. The House report says that while allegations have been rising, the TSA has taken fewer disciplinary actions against employees. A, fa a faulty disciplinary system contributes to low morale. As the report says, employee misconduct of all types corrupts the TSA's core mission to protect the traveling public imposes serious security vulnerabilities. The TSA's job is to make airline passengers feel safer and not incidentally actually make us safer. It's failing on both. Not really a shock. They mentioned integrity and ethics. I'd, yeah. Have <laughs> I those. don't see any. <laughs> yeah. I so think how it's can nice. That, how can they have that, the level of integrity and ethics have dropped when, you know, they didn't really have anything in the first place? I don't know. But I, I see. Now, here's what I think. I think if you're going to take bribes, then you should have to pass it around to the rest of the TSA officers because yeah. the only way Did morale is going to be good is if it's fair for <laughs> yeah. everyone. Did exactly. you bring enough for everybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know if you're if you're going to take a prostitute to a hotel room, you've got to get them for all the TSA officers. Otherwise, the morale is going to suffer. Oh, that was air marshals. So yeah. they probably. Oh did, no, 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 the know. TSA agents too. You know. Yeah. Taking prostitutes to hotel rooms. If, if if you need some good numbers, yeah, the Secret Service, yeah, they're they're good at organising that kind of thing. Uh. <laughs> uh, 
I just, I love it. I love it. I, I think people are getting, uh, I think people might be getting sick of this kind of shit, very. Yeah. Imagine that. Well, I know, I know, I know Phil Bissardo has a soft spot for UK customs. <laughs> Since they seem to search him every time he comes to the UK. So he must, likes Must them? be the little beard. They obviously must think he's dodgy or something. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's so many other people that need to be searched. Okay. Let's see. I talked about that. I talked about that. I did sit and watch Clinton Cash last night. That was interesting. So, yeah. Um, and I... I want you guys to know I will watch and listen to opinions from all sides. I don't just think Hillary's an evil bitch because I saw this. I saw that I felt that she was an evil bitch a long time ago. And um, the documentary Clinton Cash did uh, nothing to dissuade me from thinking that was true. I have a very simple uh, policy when it comes to this sort of thing. If they're a politician, they're evil. Well, if their lips are moving, they're you know they're lying, yeah. pretty much. Same goes bureaucrats also. Oh, yeah, of don't trust those. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anybody yeah. who actively likes paperwork, yeah, you can't trust that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nobody likes paperwork. No, no, well, bureaucrats do. I don't they think that's true. It. I don't think that's true. I think they just wind up making more of it to keep themselves in a the job. Well, that's what I mean. They love it. I don't think that's love. That's that's fear. It's their twisted form of love. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're not right in the head. Uh, no, they definitely aren't. So Everybody go watch Brazil again. You know you want to. I really liked that movie. I, I gotta say, I think the facelifts are the most frightening thing I have ever seen in that film. <laughs> yeah. God. And Robert De Niro and yeah, oh, God. playing a, in, his first comedy part, basically. Yeah. Oh, he was good. In in the walls there, that was just wow. Yeah. There was uh, what film was it? A kind of homage to that recently. Uh, oh, um, Jupiter Rising. Oh, Jupiter. Yeah. Jupiter Ascending. Sorry, whatever. You know that really wasn't a good film. It was beautiful but it wasn't good no. i think cloud atlas was the last of the good films the wachowskis produced and it wasn't even that good i mean the book was amazing yeah. the film not so much good films upcoming soon though not from them just in <laughs> well no shit not from them <laughs> yeah. so what did i read somewhere they were saying they're gonna make um Three or four more of, um, oh shit, the Matrix films? <laughs> yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm like, the only Matrix film I enjoyed was Animatrix. I thought Animatrix was kind of horrifying. At least parts of it were. Yeah. I found it a lot more entertaining than any of the three films, though. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I just don't know that the world of the Matrix needs four more films. I, I hope the Wachowskis aren't going to be involved. Is, is there enough wood in the world to allow Keanu Reeves to do another three? 
<laughs> you know, I mean, you know what he was good in? John Wick. He was good in that. He was the, the, great. The, the, the last film Keanu Reeves was in that I actively enjoyed was the Bill and Ted ones. <laughs> that was, was quite a while ago now, though. Yeah. He was actually really good in John Wick, though. But, I mean, you know... It, when you're playing a hitman, you don't have to have a wide range of emotions, so that worked well for him. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, Just saying. Yeah. Hit, hit, emotionless hitmen have been done much better by other people, though. Well, I understand that, but I mean, you've got to grade it on a curve. It's Keanu. <laughs> <laughs> you have to. Some of the stuff you just have to grade on a curve. Okay. Um, so, let me... Hang on. Let me go back here. Because I don't even know what I put. Um, we talked about the Zika, the elections. Oh, actually, we talked about everything I said I was going to talk about tonight. Well, there's the other so. TSA story. Keys. Right at the start. Yeah, I do actually have to talk about that. And it's long. <sighs> you right. don't have to read the whole thing, though. The, no, no. You I get the general gist quite quickly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, hackers create safe skies. TSA master key from scratch. Release designs. On Saturday evening, during the 11th Hope Conference in New York City, three hackers released the final master key used by the Transportation Security Administration, which opened safe skies luggage locks. The talk was given by DarkSim905, a lock enthusiast who heads the New Jersey chapter of Tool the open organization of lock pickers. Night Owl, a member of Tool from New York City, and Johnny Xmas of Redleg International Tradecraft Labs. In addition to releasing a 3D printable model of the Safe Skies Master Key, the talk also addressed techniques used to collect intelligence leading to the compromise of the seven travel sentry keys in 2015, as well as vulnerabilities in the Safe Skies lock designs approved locks. TSA-approved locks became a common sight in airports in 2003. Passengers were using locks to prevent theft, and the TSA wasn't thrilled with the overhead required to inspect luggage. Prior to the recreation and availability of the approved locks, the TSA would simply cut the lock off if a bag needed inspected. These days, under the approved locks program, the TSA can access bags by using a master key. Two companies are responsible for a majority of the TSA-approved luggage locks on the market. The first is Travel Sentry, but they don't make their own locks. Travel Sentry authorizes a system of keys that can be used as standards for other lock manufacturers. The second company is Safe Skies. They do make their own locks and hold the patents on the designs. When the approved locks program was introduced, some felt the concept was security theater and wouldn't actually provide additional protection from thieves. But as possible, some travelers did believe in the concept of stronger protection as the TSA made the claims in 2012 that the locks would prevent anyone from removing items from locked bags. My sinuses are giving me fits lately, sorry. A few years later, the TSA reversed their stance in a statement given to The Intercept saying approved lock program was implemented to provide, quote, peace of mind. When asked for a comment concerning the creation of the Safe Skies Master Key, the TSA sent Salted Hash a similar comment. These consumer products are convenience products that have nothing to do with TSA's aviation security regime, an agency spokesperson said. 
carry-on, and checked bags are subject to the TSA's electronic screening and manual inspection. In addition, the reported accessibility of keys to unauthorized persons does not affect the physical security of bags while being screened by TSA officials. Granted, the locks do deserve as a deterrent against opportunistic theft, but that's about it. Locked or not, your luggage can be opened with a pen, a knife, or screwdriver in seconds. And most of the more common travel century safe sky locks can be picked with ease. But as Johnny Xmas said during a recent interview with Salted Hash, the point being made isn't about how bad men can lick your travel toothbrush after opening your luggage with a printed key. The point being made about the development and subsequent release of the eighth and final TSA Master Key centers on the dangers of government key escrow. Testing the security of TSA-approved locks is something lock enthusiasts have been working on since 2004. In late 2015, a hacker who goes by the name of Xylitol, using high-quality public images released by the TSA and published by Travel Century, as well as a ton of community-driven research, <coughs> eventually produced 3D printable copies of the Travel Century Master Keys. Later, Dark7905, Johnny Xmas, and another hacker by the name of MS3FGX added to the project by fixing a few of the early design flaws and sharing knowledge. The media coverage released to the Travel Century leak primarily focused on the fact that hackers could now break into luggage, which the hackers involved in the leak claim completely missed the point. The point we're trying to make, which everyone involved stated very clearly over and over again, was that this was all an act of civil disobedience in order to create an excellent metaphor for the general public to better understand the inherent dangers of trusting a highly targeted third party to have the tools necessary to grant <clears throat> unfettered access to your stuff. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It just kind of goes on and on. Um, for anybody who's actually interested and wants to 3D print some keys, I will stick that in the chat for you. Because there's links, there's, you know, patterns, there's all kind of stuff in that story. Oh, and, and it's not directly related to the story. Well, it mm -hmm. kind of is, because <laughs> I, bet, I bet some of the hackers are involved. There, there's actually, you know, like a competitive sport of lockpicking. Oh. There you go. Who'd have thought? Lock sport. <laughs> that actually, I hate to say that kind of sounds like fun, <clears throat> but I bet knowing somebody who could do that would be a lot of fun. Well, I first became aware of it watching the British TV show QI, where they mentioned some mm -hmm. uh, lock picking association, <laughs> I think, in Holland. Hmm. You know, and they produce their own sets of lock picks with branding on them and all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> That but just... one of the rules of the club is you're not allowed to actually pick somebody's lock without permission. Oh, I thought one of the first rules was you don't talk about it. That's <laughs> no, lock picking. <laughs> They're not really that worried. I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm kidding. I w and I was referencing and my favorite. Yeah. And, 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 I'm allowed to and, do that. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fast tech do sell lock picks. Just, just in case anyone's, you know. <laughs> just in case anyone wants to join the competitive sport of lock picking. It's called Locksport. Yes. Locksport. 
You know, I would love to see that at the Olympics because that seems like a safe indoor thing they could do. They could fumigate the indoors, right? And they could have people going about lock sporting doors in the hotels and they could have people running around filming them and whoever does it the fastest could win a medal. And they yeah. probably won't get bitten by, uh, you know, Zika. Uh, as an aside, yeah. <laughs> did you see the... the, the attempt to have jousting put in the Olympics. No, but <laughs> oh, nothing's as much fun as good well. There's a petition and everything. Maybe they might have Renaissance fairs you have in the US. I'm sure the you know, US would love that. Yeah. Um, you know, sure, we have something that looks like jousting. I don't think it's near as dangerous. Well, no, they're not allowed to make it as dangerous as real jousting was. Cause, well, yeah. I mean, that how is that? Oh, no, we lost what? another eight athletes at this, this what week's What I'm saying event. to you is, how yeah. is it worth watching? It's, it's, you're, it's jousting light. Yeah, I know it's, people that have done it. It still hurts like hell. I'm sure it hurts even, like even hell, but I'm saying, if you're, going to make it, <laughs> if you're going to make it an Olympic sport, at least make it dangerous. Yeah. Well, having said that, the, some of the, the horse-related Current Olympic sports are dangerous enough. Uh, it was just after World War Two. Mm-hmm. It was a German German guy who won like three gold medals in equestrian events, mm-hmm. and he'd won one of the event with half his ribs broken. <laughs> his horse had refused a, a jump, and he'd come off, mm-hmm. broke half his ribs, got on the horse, went on to win. Well, see, that's like, an athlete. That's an that, athlete, yeah. That is an athlete. Or or you could say, that's a nutcase. He broke all his ribs and then went, oh, oh no, got to finish. Speaking of political jousting, if anybody goes to see the Purge election year, let me know about how that was. I'm kind of curious about it. I haven't seen any of the Purge films. But I think I would like to see the Purge election year. I think year. I saw the Just, first one. It just sounds like uh, just something I would really be interested in. <clears throat> just saying. Uh, political jousting, uh, the purge election year, it all seems to fit together in my head. Okay. So I've got other stuff here. We made fun of the TSA. We talked about Utah. I don't want to talk about, you know, illegal body cavity searches. Okay. We talked about hackers, so I'm going to finish by talking about hackers. Hacker shows reg how one leaked home address can lead to ruin. It takes nothing more than a home address for hacker Nixer to find enough information to ruin your life. Nixer is one of Australia's most skilled good guy social engineers and at a recent event in subsequent chats with the reg demonstrated the political potential damage rather than actually ruining a life, but the arsenal he showed, a mix of open source intelligence, custom tools, and a knack for correlation and experience in how to siphon personal information, show how identity theft and worse are not hard to accomplish, and also how the most locked down Facebook accounts leak like sieves. Nixer himself is a ghost. He doesn't use his real name and his real self can't be found online. His hacker identity is, however, used in public events like Unresticon, security confab in Melbourne, where he demonstrated how he can find enough information to access bank accounts. 
On this occasion, Nixer targeted an address that will lead to a family man in Kansas, U.S. Nixer selected the address through a random search of online clipboard pastebin for the keyword docs, the name given to private personal information made public. Those records did not yield the name, and Nixer did not know if the street address was even real. But it didn't take long to verify the addresses through Google and Microsoft online mapping services and in geopastal databases. Along the way, he found not only details of the man he sought, but also previous owners of the property. Checks against other public databases revealed how much the house cost, allowing the social engineer to make estimates on the household income necessary to purchase the home. He reckoned the combined income was about U.S. $120,000. Photos of the house on mapping services revealed the car parked in the driveway. Although the license plates were blurred, it was enough for the hacker to learn the make, model, and U.S. state in which the car was registered. You can see they are Kansas plates because of the color, the way they are shaped, and how many letters and numbers it has, Nixer said. A well-loved playground in the house's backyard points to at least some young children in the home. A football field visible behind the house is also useful information. This is a local school in town and a local gridiron team, and that's information you could help use to help craft phishing attacks, Nixer says. News type. Online identification services are the scourge of privacy advocates. One service widely regarded as a notorious treasure trove by social engineers is Salesforce Web Property Data.com, which allows tit-for-tat trading of personal information and encourages professionals to upload their contacts in order to access the same number of identities stored within its servers. The site's impact on privacy can be severe. One of your correspondent's previous home address was captured by the site and offered to anyone willing to share their own contacts or open their wallets, despite my efforts efforts to keep it concealed. And Data.com is just one such service among the likes of many. The likes of Wayne boasts that they hold the data on 1 in 14 humans. Nixer used such sites to look up the address from the original pastebin document and retrieve names for the current and former residents of the Kansas property. Armed with this target's name, he then established the man's previous addresses, personal and work email addresses, and the date of birth from the service. These sites are everywhere, Nixer said with disdain. You pay a dollar or something and you get access to whatever you want. It's all there. It's scary. Facebook is poison to those who take privacy seriously, and it's unsurprising that Nixer has resisted the temptation to join the online water cooler, not even with an alias. He has a better reason than most. The hacker has cooked up some of the most nightmarish tools that lay waste to Facebook's non-default privacy controls that Zuckerland offers as a token effort to entice and retain the tinfoil hat community. Thanks a lot. I'm not a tinfoil hatter. The tools, custom-built during Nixer's government agency engagements, can spin fake profiles to help capture associations and familiar links to a target who has ratcheted up Facebook privacy settings to its fullest effect. None of the seven fake profiles he loads onto the tools need to be accepted as a friend by the target in order for Facebook's privacy controls to be neutered. At this point in Nixer's demo, he's learned the identity of his target's brothers and sisters, parents, and cousins thanks to Facebook and LinkedIn. He also has a pile of personal photographs and information that confirmed all previous findings. Each of the target's siblings and children worked at what Nixer now learned was a family-run company. Facebook is a spiderweb of people who can be leveraged, Nixer said. You can use fake profiles to triangulate a target's movements using nothing more than Facebook. Nixer switches the targets to the man's business and learns that his victim is the director. I have enough information at this point to open and close his bank accounts or do whatever I want, he said. 
With his noose of personal information tied, Nixer's next step is to infiltrate the website of his victim's business. That site is powered by an unpatched instance of Linux. Nixer quickly gains access to the web server with root privileges. It worked just like that, Nixer said, clicking his fingers. With a malicious site in place, all sorts of other attacks become possible. Yeah. So, yeah. Social <laughs> engineering. Social engineering is probably the, the most interesting part of hacking. Because no, I think, I well, no, because I think most people think hackers just sit in the dark and do stuff. But a lot of times they have to get close to people. And they have to get be good at speaking to people or infiltrating their way into a person's life to get where they want to go. And I think most people don't think of hackers that way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's, that's this newfangled modern hacking. Hmm. <clears throat> I, I will say the next bit with the addendum. In no way do I do any of this sort of thing anymore, ever. <laughs> Back when I was first a, a student... <laughs> studying computing science and mathematics um, and I used to be quite specialised in particular types of encryption and decryption mm -hmm. safe to say within a month of being at the university I had full access to their whole computer system and could fool the system into thinking I was say word processing while I was actually doing something else <laughs> but in no way would I know anything about such things Honest, Gav. Of course you wouldn't. No. Of course you wouldn't. How would you? So, yeah. Admin so, passwords are so easy to get hold of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, put it this way. I, and I think I've talked about this before. What was it? There was, there was, um, there was some sort of algorithm I let loose on my Facebook once to try and test its privacy settings mm -hmm. for 12 days it could not unlock my password i was like hey that's pretty good then it could and then i got smarter yeah so yeah i mean well as it says in that article it's just like uh, just don't put so much personal information on there mm -hmm. sure i mean but yeah you, you show up as not living where you live uh-huh uh Mine that... has the town, kinda, but not where I actually live. Uh, Mine doesn't. I I'm... don't have my birthday on there. Uh, you know, or if I, when I sign up for sites, I quite often, you know, I won't use my real birthday, for instance. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> well, why, why do they need to know when I'm born for most of they, these things? Um, they don't. So. But like my relatives. I know who my relatives are on there. Nobody else knows. There's a reason for that. And, you know, and they're they're always trying to post their kids' pictures to my Facebook and stuff, and I'm dumping it. I'm flushing it. I'm going, no. No. You know, I don't want this stuff on there. <clears throat> I don't want yeah, anything all, happening. All, all, these, all these quizzes that ask, you know, to get your stripper name, put in the month <laughs> you were born and then the date you were born and then you get your name. You're like... Don't do those, really. Yeah, that is the fishing expedition. Exactly, and or my favorite one is: Did you know your phone has a name? Oh yeah. Oh, you gotta be fucking stupid to play that one. You've <laughs> got to be goddamn dumb. You've just you've got to be a moron. 
There's you might as well just rain. type your damn phone number into Facebook and go, feel free to call me. Because yeah. it's basically the same thing. I don't know. Um, I should I do that because, you know, if I don't recognize a number, I won't answer a call anyway. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you'll frustrate the whole world in trying to get your a hold of you. Phone ringing away. Hacker. I do. Why isn't he I do. his phone? Do you know what's really sad? My, my husband and I will sit there and look at each other. The phone will ring and we'll just look at each other. And, you know, neither one of us is going to get up and answer it. I'm right. like, yeah. we should Another probably sales check call. Yeah. It doesn't matter. That's, um, because of the way these companies work, you know, we, we have a landline in our flat. And mm -hmm. I don't think any of the people living here actually use it for making calls. And 99% of the time, we don't answer it either. Because 99.9% .9 of the calls we get are, PP, you know, do you want PPI insurance money back or new double glazing <laughs> or, you know, it's all sales yeah. calls. Mm -hmm. And and in the UK, there's a preferential call service where you're not supposed to get sales calls. But and you do anyway. You sign up to that, and you still get the sales calls anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It only well. it only it only cuts out the companies that are based in the UK, the preferential <laughs> system. But since none of these countries are actually companies are actually based in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> means you're still getting all the calls anyway. So yeah. sure, and nobody wants that. There are fancy add-ons to your phone you can get that block sales calls, but yeah. when you can buy when you can buy a telephone for like ten dollars, mm -hmm. but but to buy the system to to block <laughs> all these sales calls costs like hundred and fifty dollars. Really bother? not worth it, is it? Well, I mean, your phone is basically for most people. If you have a landline, it's basically you could just use it for a fucking hammer. Yeah. Nobody uses their landline. Yeah, you I mean, know, all, all the companies still charge you line rental and all that stuff for a land telephone. And, <laughs> yeah, they, did, they do surveys in the UK regularly. And, yeah, they're charging all these people for landlines, and nobody uses the damn things. There was I, a call recently for, for off, by Ofcom, which is the UK regulator, for the companies to start offering broadband without phone service. Because <laughs> most people are just using broadband. Well, why, do, phone, why do they need to use a phone when they have Skype, Discord, stuff like that? You know? Right, but my, yeah. my phone and internet are bundled. I yeah, mean, that's I, what all I the companies do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have You have, have to get one. one without the other. Yeah. Right, I don't have one for me. I have one because I have elderly people living in the house, and if we need 911, it's going to be a bitch trying to get them to come from one of our cell phones. Everybody's bank's online security sucks. Everybody's uh, bank. Mine's not too bad, but ask us to use a third-party security app that you've got to load in before it'll let you use it. Well, Although the, the, yeah, there's a report just the other day that um, the online banking services aren't getting used as much. Everybody's well, using I, apps on their phones instead. No, no, no. Which Go is even in less person. secure. Go in person. You know, that way you can see when they look at you all suspicious when you want to take out a ridiculous... Oh, you see, in, in the UK, you, you go in person, but you won't actually get an appointment to see anyone. An appointment? You know, if you, you want to do something... Any, you if don't you want have to do something complex, you can't just go in and do it. 
They do they have towers have at the towers. bank. You can yeah. you can withdraw money and do sure, basic I mean, bill paying. I mean, but no, right. I, anything I more complex, you have to make, have an, to make appointment. an appointment. Sure, you it do. might take weeks. Um, yeah. Oh, it doesn't take weeks here, but uh, you know. Yeah, the bank banks in the UK, you know, like um, the bank I bank with regularly. Mm -hmm. If I go in the go into the physical bank in my the town I live in, there's only mm -hmm. about four staff in it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's about the Don't same. Don't go here, in at lunchtime. No, I'm I saying. think we have like two here. We have two, and then there's like the funny thing is you walk around the bank, and there's like four ATMs outside the bank. One just inside the double doors, one outside, and two drive-ups. So I'm like, that's great. There's four people out of a job. Um, anyway, I think that might be it for tonight. Okay. Muppets and advert. Always come here, I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Ammoseek.com. Good night, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening.